0: Welcome to Share Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on September 18th, 2022, on the basis of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, and verses 17 to 19. Grace and mercy and peace are yours, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The, God, the, the sermon text for today is going to be from First uh, Timothy. It's going to be some selected verses here, and this is going to be the end of Paul's letter to, to Timothy. Timothy was a, a young pastor that Paul had, had first met on, on perhaps his first mission journey and picked him up on his second mission journey, and Timothy went with him. And so Timothy had, had come up under the instruction of, of Paul. And now Timothy was the pastor in likely the pastor in Ephesus at that time. And so Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, First um, and Second Timothy, kind of our letters towards the end of Paul's life, and, and Paul's imparting some of his, his wisdom and what he's learned from God, and, and he's giving him God's words here um, as encouragement to teach the people. So uh, from, from 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 6, he says, "...but godliness with contentment is great gain." This is God's word. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, famous Russian author Leo Tolstoy. uh, He wrote a lot of of really influential works, but he he wrote a a very poignant short story. Um, Here it is. He introduces us at the beginning of this short story to a man named Pahom. And Pahom lived in Russia, and he was a, a peasant. He, own, he had a little bit of land. He didn't own it for himself at this point, but he was able to, to farm that land and, and gather the, the crops from that harvest. Well, after a little bit of time doing that, he had a couple of good years in a row. A couple of years where the, the harvest was really good, and he was able to uh, get enough together where he could pay off that, that small track of land, and it would be his. Uh, around that same time, there was a bigger piece of land that had become available for him. And he thought, well, now that I've done well in this regard, maybe I can take a step forward, move up. And so he did. He bought that larger piece of land. And in a stroke of luck, he had a couple of good years of harvest again and was able to pay off that larger piece of land. And even more than that, he started to amass some wealth for himself. Well, one day he he was having a conversation with somebody and they were telling him about this group of people called the, the Bashkirs and the Bashkirs had a ton of land out east and this land was vast and it was amazing farmland and what Pahom knew about the Bashkirs was that they were somewhat simple people, that was their reputation anyways and by this point Pahom considered himself a pretty savvy businessman, and he figured if he went out east, he might be able to get some sort of bargain for the land that he was, was going to go get. So he, he makes this trip out east. He, he arrives in, in the village and he meets the chief of the, the Bashkirs out there. And Pohm tells him while he was there that he, that he came to buy some, some land that he brought with him, a thousand rubles. And the, the chief says, okay, I, I have a proposal for you But the proposal that this chief made was kind of peculiar. The chief said, for a 1,000 rubles, you can have as much land as you can walk around in one day. Now, that was kind of strange to to Pahom, but he figured he could walk a a good clip, and he could probably do 30 to 40 miles in one day, and that's a lot of land. And so here's how it would work. He would leave his 1,000 rubles with the chief on top of this hill underneath a nice tree there. He would take a small shovel with him and he would dig up some turf as he went so that they would see where the, the property line would be. But there was one catch. Pahom had to be back to the chief of the Bashkirs by sunset. If Pahom did not make it back by sunset, he would, the chief would get to keep the 1,000 rubles and that land would not be his. Paul agreed to this. He said, this, this sounds good. And the next morning at sun, sunrise, he set out, digging up the turf as he went. And so he walked a little ways, and right about the time when, when he was going to take his first turn, off in the distance, a little out of his way, he saw this beautiful pond. And he thought, it would be a shame to have all of this but not have that. And so he makes the decision to go out of his way and walk around that pond. He keeps walking. A little ways further, he sees this beautiful grassy plain out a little ways away, a little out of his way. It would have been awesome for grazing animals. It would have been really good for planting crops. And he thought it would be a shame to have all of this and not have that grassy plain. And so he de- made the detour. He went around that grassy plain and then he kept walking. Well, it was a little over halfway through the day. You could tell by where the sun was in the sky, but he was not nearly halfway done with his journey. And so he had to pick it up. He ran, in fact. He pretty much all out sprinted the rest of the way back, and you know what? He made it. He made it just as the sun was setting. He made it back to the chief of the Bashkirs, but he was not doing so well. I'll spare you the the bloody details. Leo Tolstoy goes into a lot more uh, gory detail, but Pahom collapses and dies from exhaustion. And Pahom's servant comes out, digs a hole that's about six feet long, six feet deep, and buries Pahom in it. The title of the short story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? The answer, about six feet. It's a pretty powerful story, pretty powerful illustration, probably a a few different takeaways that you're already going over in, in your head. Here's one. Our sinful hearts have an insatiable want for more. Here's another one. You can't take anything with you when you die. Wealth in its various forms is fleeting. Now, you already knew that. You already knew that because in 1 Timothy, what we just read, both of those things come out of 1 Timothy. Those are both applications that we pull out of our biblical text for today. Look at at verse 7 again. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. All the stuff, every paycheck you've ever earned, stays here when you die. For all of Pahom's striving, it made no eternal difference for him. When Pahom died, his land stayed here, his money stayed here. Even if Pahom was buried with that thousand rubles that he brought out there, it wouldn't be his because he was gone. But you know, Pahom was not ignorant. He he knew that. Even if he didn't believe in Jesus, even if he believed in no afterlife, he he had seen people live and die, and when they died, their stuff stayed here, but they didn't. Even the the most secular person today would admit to the, the, the fleeting nature of wealth. They understand that wealth is just a temporal thing for this life, yet Pahom kept striving it maybe wasn't always like this for pahom not quite to this level anyways if you were to rewind the tape back to the beginning when he was a peasant he probably never thought that he'd have as much land as he ended up with or as much wealth as he had accumulated maybe he had dreams of it you know maybe he thought if i win the lottery someday i'll buy this and this and this and i'll have this much land and this much money and it will make me feel this kind of way but but did he think it would actually be a reality I, Probably not. But, but what kind of started as, as a small thing for, for, for Pahom, this, this small desire, over the course of, of time, over the course of his life, it grew and it grew, and as he got more, it was, it was fed. It grew and it grew, and, and he just had to have more. T- take the land-walking example as an example. He's walking this this land, and he could have had 30 miles of land, and it would have been a lot of land, and it was probably good land, too. But he saw that pond, and it was so enticing that he, he had to have it. He had to walk around that pond. And, you know, he probably would have made it back and been in good health if he would not have walked around that grassy plain, but he just had to have it. It was so enticing. He could not be content... Because there would always be more. And he had to have more. Paul says those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why did Paul say this? Was Timothy particularly struggling with the, the sin of greed? I don't think specifically. Paul is telling this to Timothy in, in order that he would pass this on to, to his fellow parishioners there, to the people there. Paul was saying this to Timothy, and God was allowing Paul to say this to Timothy so that we would hear this today. Because Paul knew that there is a danger that resides within the sinful nature that is common to every person. And, and that dangers may be twofold. Our sinful nature, our sinful heart, has this magnetic sort of attraction to money. It latches onto it. That's, that's one. Two, this, this want for more, and it doesn't just go that way with money, but this want for more within us can become an insatiable desire and that exists within the sinful heart of every human being. Now, some of you may have written this off already. You're not listening because you think, I don't have that much money. I'm not rich. So this doesn't apply to me. Paul's not just writing this to rich people. (laughs) You know how you can tell? He says, those who want to get rich. The desire to be rich, the desire to have things, exists in somebody that's worth millions and exists in somebody who's worth nearly nothing. Paul is saying this to all people, and he's saying the combination of, of this desire mixed with the, the attraction, uh, the magnetic attraction that is common to our hearts, it's a dangerous combo, and it, it'll, it makes it so that you will not be content about anything. Because in a very sneaky fashion, <laughs> the love of this money Becomes what you put your trust in, what you put your faith in, what you put your hope in. And money cannot fulfill the faith you put in it. The money cannot fulfill the trust that you put in it. Money can't give you what you're truly looking for. And as we kind of saw in our gospel reading for today, there's not enough room in your heart to love money and to love God. Remember, he said in the gospel, you cannot serve two masters, the love of money pushes God eventually out of the heart. And it doesn't likely happen all at once. Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And make sure we're getting this here. We're not saying money is evil. It's the love of money that pushes those things out of your heart. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Loving money is is the root, and when those roots go down, all kinds of soul-harming evil happens. When those roots go down, it it gets rid of those roots that have gone down with the the Word. And when those roots go down, taken over time, compounded over time, Paul says that some have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They did it to themselves. Do you notice that? They pierced themselves. Nobody did it to them. They did it to themselves. And the word pierce is maybe kind of graphic, right? It's it's kind of a harsh word. But but actually that word can also mean impale. They impale themselves. This This is gruesome what this does to a heart, what this does to somebody's spiritual life. So what are we to make of this? Is money evil? Are, are people who have money, are they evil? What God is trying to communicate through the Apostle Paul to us today is not that money is evil, but that we are sinful. What he wants to reveal to you, as you examine your own heart, he wants to, you, to reveal to you the attachments that your heart already has to money. And he wants to take a scissors and just cut those attachments off. And he wants to warn you about the, the danger that, that your heart has around money, that there is a magnetic attraction that your, your heart has to money. He wants you to be careful of, of those things. But he's not just giving you to-dos here. You know, as you read through this, this a few times, there's a few glimpses of, of gospel here. But maybe at first, just at first, they're a little unsatisfying. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So am I to walk away just thinking, okay, don't want more, be happy with what I have. Got it, good. There's actually more to this than that. Paul's words to Timothy as, as we hear them, we need to realize that there is a lot more content in the word content. There's a lot of meaning packed into that word. And what it means to be content, the way the Bible talks about being content, starts with what Paul and what the other apostles came to be witnesses to. They came to be witnesses to Jesus, to the work that Jesus did. They came to be witnesses to the gospel. That's the content of being content, you know, it's amazing uh, how much the Bible uses financial language to talk about the gospel, to reveal to you the truths of the gospel. Can I, can I share two of, of maybe the more powerful ones? Evelyn, can you put the next slide up there? The first one here from Paul also, he wrote in, in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And then from the Apostle Peter, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The content of being content is found in Jesus who became poor so that you would be rich. The content of being content is found in Jesus, who was willing to sacrifice himself to pay the price for your redemption. And the price he paid was, it was steep, but he was willing to pay it, and he paid it with the most valuable thing in the world. And and it wasn't silver, it wasn't gold, it was his holy and precious blood. Pahom spent his life striving after what was temporal, what was of earthly value, but what Jesus has to offer you has extraordinary value, not just in this life, but also in the life to come, because it is life that is truly life. (laughs) That's what Paul said right at the end. Chase after life that is truly life. There's going to be a lot of things in your life that try to masquerade as true life, (laughs) But they're not. They can't give you what only Jesus can give. Only Jesus can give you this life. And it is only the life that Jesus gives that can make you truly content in this life and the next. Please don't hear me or Paul wrong here. There's warnings that he's giving about our heart in dealing with money, but money is good. It's a good thing, it's a blessing from God. And you are blessed if you, if you have it. You're blessed if you have a little. You're blessed if you have a lot. It's a good thing. Listen to how Paul talks about it. God richly provides us with everything. And you know what he says next? For our enjoyment. It's okay if you have money. <laughs> Don't feel guilty about it. God has blessed you. Enjoy it. It's okay for you to enjoy the money that God has given you. Not only has he blessed you with the amazing blessings that he's given you in Christ, but he's given you this too, and thank him for that. (laughs) And then he has instructions for you too. And he says at the beginning of that second part, command those who are rich in this present world. And you've probably sat through a few sermons like this before, where the pastors tried to convince you that you're rich. (laughs) Uh, And and I'm going to tell you one of my favorites, because I I thought this was really thought-provoking for me. A pastor once said that if you were to show the 16th century kings and queens what you have today, they'd be jealous. They would be jealous. that The people who were so rich in the 16th century, who had the most power in that time, would be jealous of you because you have a box in your house that keeps things cold, where meat doesn't spoil, at least not as fast, Right? They'd be so jealous of you because you have a vehicle that can get you from point A to point B, 60 miles in, in just a little over an hour if you're driving the, the speed limit. It, maybe that convinces you that, that we're pretty blessed. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. But, but God has instructions for you, whether you have a little or a lot, when you're handling money. And he says, in view of his mercy, in view of the gospel, and that's what we always do these things in view of, he says, do good. Do good with money. Use your money to do good. Don't just be rich in your pocketbook, but be rich in good deeds. Be generous and be willing to share. And here's what God's not doing. He's not pulling a bait and switch here. He's not trying to leverage you with the gospel He's not trying to give you another thing to feel guilty about. That's not how God works. He has freely opened up the storehouses of his grace to you. And this is what his grace produces in you. It's not even even you or I that's producing this for ourselves. His grace is what's producing this in us. It's producing the heart of generosity. It's producing a heart that wants to do good and help others. So, as God has blessed you, be a blessing to others with your money and grow. We maybe don't talk about that too much. We talk about growth in our spiritual lives in the Word, we talk about growth in, in discipline, but we can grow in, in how we handle money. If you are kind of disorganized with your money, try a budget for the first time. Be intentional with your money. Grow in how you handle that money. You can grow in your generosity. If you haven't given before, give. If you're kind of a sporadic giver, that it's kind of whatever's in my wallet on on Sunday morning, start planning it out. If you are a regular giver, try to push the bounds of, of your generosity and realize that it's God doing that in you. That it's only God and his word that can produce that in you. The heart of generosity and he has something for you here. And it's not, in a sense, a transaction. We're not giving to God hoping to get more back. We're giving to God because we've gotten more than we ever could imagine. We're not paying God back for anything. I used this example in a devotional workshop the other day. That God's grace to us is like a waterfall coming down, and trying to pay God back is like taking a bucket and trying to throw it back up in the air. It's not going to get there. You can never throw as much water back up as God has thrown down on you. And so he's given you this grace so that you would be generous, so that you would help others, and so that you would lay a foundation in the life to come. Knowing that in the ways that you help people, you might not see an earthly benefit from that, but you are laying up a firm foundation in the life to come. And that life is truly life. And that life is a life of contentment, a life of great gain. May God give that to all of us. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. I pray that you were built up in God's word and that your, your faith was strengthened through the preaching of God's word. If this is a podcast that you enjoy and that you like listening to, could you do us a favor? Could you hit subscribe and maybe even share it with a friend of yours? We hope to get the word of of God out to more people so that they might hear it more often and that they might have confidence in Jesus as their Savior. If you could do this, this, this would be great. And we hope that you'll tune in again next week as we bring you another sermon, another portion from God's word. God bless your week.